Cape Talk. Join the conversation on capetalk.co.za, on the app, and across the city on 567 AM. And we always look forward to this time of the week, actually, where we get to chat to Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist. Hi there, Chris. Do you know, I always look forward to this time of the week as well, because I get to chat to you and and talk about all these amazing questions. But, you know, it's it's my really good Friday feel-good thing. You know, I really do actually genuinely (laughs) look forward to chatting to you all on a Friday morning. It it just marks the beginning of of the weekend for me. It's fantastic. No, it is. It's the same year. We, we normally talk about what's coming up and what we're going to be doing. Oh, it's Friday tomorrow. Yes, Chris is there. And uh, and, and obviously, listeners enjoy you. I, I want to start off with this question about this Harvard University study saying that if people make love, they've got to wear face masks. <laughs> I, you know, in some respects, OK, this is equal rights for ugly people, isn't it? I suppose <laughs> it kind of solves that problem, doesn't it? <laughs> I think they meant the COVID nineteen face masks, but yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And maybe I misre- misread that. Um, well, to be honest with you, the whole point about social distancing is is to keep households together, and this actually came up as a question at one of Boris Johnson's Prime Minister's press conferences from Downing Street right at the beginning of all this in the UK. Because one of our Deputy Chief Medical Officers, she's absolutely brilliant. Her name's Jenny Harries. She's my favourite person from the government right now. I mean, she's a civil servant, obviously not a politician, but her job Mm. is, along with the other scientists and doctors, to advise the government on what the science and medicine says so they can form some kind of policy around it. And when they announced the lockdown... The question from the journalists in the room was, well, hang on a minute. You're saying this household has got to isolate. This household has got to isolate. Well, what about if I'm dating someone who isn't in my household? And she waggled her finger and she said, well, now is the time when one must consider testing the strength of one's relationship. Either you move in together or you stay apart. Either way, you'll be testing the strength of your relationship. Fantastic. I absolutely love it. Just just onto that that study quickly. It says here a new study indicates that wearing a condom might not be the only safety measure to be implemented when it comes to <laughs> sex in the age of COVID ninety. This is a Dinkum Harvard study. Researchers at Harvard University found that having sex poses some risks of transmitting <laughs> COVID-19 between... They're a bright bunch, these Harvard lot, aren't they? (laughs) They are, aren't they? I mean, they recommended wearing a face mask during sexual intercourse, although if you're an entrepreneur. And so the condom sorted. How do you make a face mask that's comfortable for these sort of things, that's breathable? But anyway... um, It it kind of says... I mean, the other thing, you know, just sorry, just to Hmm. be slightly sort of off the end of the normal distribution or normality, but it kind of assumes everyone's indulging in extremely non-recherche forms of sexual congress, doesn't it? Um, Because, you know, if your repertoire is a little broader, a face mask wouldn't be terribly compatible. (laughs) Well, you're right. Uh, Spot on, actually. Now, a question for the Naked Scientist... If you microwave a mask or any item of clothing, will it kill the virus? It said C10 virus. I'm sure it was meant to be C19 virus, mm. but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the this question has been asked by a couple of people before. First point, okay, uh, when you put anything in the microwave oven, you must make sure it's safe to go in the microwave oven. Different things are made of different materials, some of which are more or less vulnerable to being put in a microwave oven some may even catch fire and for that reason this is not to be advised second point the way microwave ovens work 
is that they create a standing wave of microwaves, which is a form of electromagnetic energy across the inside of the microwave. The wavelength of that is 12 centimetres. So in other words, there's a hot spot every six centimetres. And or six to yeah, there's a hot spot every six centimeters. That means if you put something in there which is a funny shape, then it's perfectly possible that some bits of it are not going to be equivalently heated. So you could end up with some areas that get very, very hot and may even catch fire, and some bits that don't get hot at all. Either way, you're probably damaging the integrity of your material because actually the hot bits that get really, really hot may break down and then you've got no protection yep. of anything you're breathing out going through there or breathing in, and the cold bits are not going to get disinfected at all, lulling you into a false sense of security that actually you've made your mask safe. Mm. Probably wrong mm. on both counts. Best thing to do, if you're, if you're using some kind of face covering, put it in the wash. If it's a handkerchief type thing or a bandana type thing, it's better to put it in the washing machine, much better, or wash it with detergent. As soon as the temperature is more than about 60 degrees C, it kills everything. And detergents break ah. apart, they, they attack oils, the coronavirus and many other viruses. Not all, but many other viruses have an oily bag around the outside of the virus, which oh. is called its envelope. And this is disrupted by detergents, alcohols. That's why alcohol hand rub works and why soap works. So the best thing to do, to be honest with you, is to just put it in a bowl of water with some detergent, warm water, swish it through and then hang it up to dry. Much safer probably more energy uh, efficient but definitely yeah. will work because detergents will bust apart all kinds of germs not just microwaves tenuous science probably won't work bit unsafe i wouldn't do that and we're talking 70 percent alcohol here not um you know glenfiddich 20 year olds not gonna kill <laughs> oh, the you virus. don't want to don't want to use that when <laughs> I mean, you want to drink that <laughs> Um, you know, although one person said, you know, given that um, it takes, uh, you know, hand rub to if, if, a, if a hand rub kills this virus, can I just drink very heavily? Will that kill the virus? Ooh. And we pointed out that it takes 60 percent alcohol to kill a virus, but only about one percent alcohol in the bloodstream to kill a human. So probably not a good idea. Well, there's a story that emanated out of the Western Cape. People made a traditional beer. And apparently they threw sanitizer in it because they mm. thought it would cure them. And they died. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really mm. sad story. It let's depends, kind of, it depends what's in the sanitizer, yep. to be honest with you, because some, some of these hand sanitizers do contain ethanol. Others contain isopropanol. They're both alcohols. They both will have an intoxicating effect. But because the manufacturers know this, they actually add various other chemicals to the hand sanitizer, including chemicals like pyridines which is also added to methanol, and they are very bitter. They taste horrible. So even if it didn't poison you, it's a bad idea to put it in your homebrew because it's going to make it taste foul. Well, there we go. Let's go to Barris. Barris is in Bloberg's brand. Hello, Barris. Good morning. Morning, Kina, morning, Kina. Uh, Chris, just quickly, while you're on the subject, could I use a jig in a tray and put my shoes, you know, the bottom of soles of my shoes to kill in the gym before I come into the house? Would that also work? Hi, Barris. Um, what did you say you want to do with, with your shoes? If you, if you put some jig in a tray and you just, as you walk into your house, you, you, know, you walk to this like tray with some jig in it, just sterilize your soles of your shoes. Well, you, you, that you could do that. Well? But do, do, do lots of germs spread that way? Well, probably very few. We know that when, when there are outbreaks of things, people do put these hazard mat down and, and they make sure that particles are removed from shoes and so on. But really, 
the kinds of viruses we're dealing with here are airborne spread. And that means a person breathing them out into the air and then you breathing them in. Or they land on a surface and you touch that surface and then touch your eyes. So it's probably not going to help cut down the infectivity very much in terms of household contacts to do that. You could do it if you wanted sure. to. It probably would wash your shoes a bit, but it's probably just going to make more mess and probably return very little benefit in terms of, of infection control. So I, I'd go down the route of drinking the drink to enjoy that and washing my hands responsibly and taking all other precautions I can to, to, to ward this off. Yep. That's the basic stuff that'll protect you, right? Um, let's go to Richard. Richard in Fish Hook. Hi there. How are you doing, Richard? Hi, Akina. How's it? Hi, Dr. Smith. Um, my question is a UVC light. I think it's a Chinese product. Uh, they call, it comes in the form of a wand or, or lights that are supposed to um, negate the effect of the COVID or kill the COVID-19 virus. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, people are even selling these lights. Eh? Anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, no, this this is true. Um, in fact, we covered the story on this mm. recently because researchers in America had uncovered a particular wavelength, in other words, the size or colour of ultraviolet called far UVC, and that's ultraviolet C at the far end of the ultraviolet C spectrum. And this has enough energy that it destroys the genetic information of virus particles, but it's so short wavelength that it can't penetrate human skin. So it doesn't carry the same risk of causing damage to skin cells and hence cancer that other longer wavelengths of UV do, like UVC and some bits of UVB possibly. But it does have the ability to penetrate into viruses and bust them apart. And we actually talked to the researchers who are doing the study and it's now being implemented in various places as a light source. So what you could do is you have a UV source, say, in the ceiling of of public spaces. You have a matrix of these UVC sources as the air currents waft around the room, carrying airborne infection with them. As some of that will become will, will come close to the light source, it will see a big dose of UVC, which will genetically rip apart the virus so effectively it's inactive and this means that when the air recirculates through the room the infectious burden has dropped we've known that you can do this with ultraviolet c and uvb for a long time because people have been decontaminating environments with ultraviolet for instance cell culture rooms or or uh, in medical manufacturing facilities you have a uv source that you turn on when the humans go out of the room and it sterilizes the environment the rub was putting this in public places so you can clean the air without giving people skin cancer and that's why discovering this particular uvc far uvc regime that's not very penetrating but is devastating if you're a virus has been a particularly useful discovery and i think we'll probably see more of this sort of technology being deployed in public spaces and even public transport mm. very interesting indeed thanks for that question richard let's go to nick oh nick do me a favor turn the radio down for us um we should also talk about why one gets feedback i mean there's a nice question uh, how's it nick i'm going well thank you good i just wanted to ask the, the scientists this question if, if if i take my mask and i put it on the, at the top of the kettle when i make my tea and i steam it does that have any beneficial effect and knock out a few viruses or is that a waste of time hi nick steaming your mask Interesting. well uh, again it's um it, it's one of those things you'd need to try and test it and actually test it clinically properly and see if someone can do the experiment for you and see if you manage to get equivalent heating across the entire mask and make sure that it completely sterilises. My worry here is that masks, when you wear them for a long time, 
get damp. When they get damp, they become a culture breeding ground for microorganisms. And there's a risk that uh, you could grow something on that mask that then could become a threat to your health later. So it's better to make sure you wash these things completely cleanly and properly. If you just put it on the kettle, you might add more moisture, encourage more things to grow there, and you haven't sterilised it properly, which is why I suggested if you are going to go down this route, I would just wash them properly. Detergent is a really wonderful thing, and most of these masks are actually quite resilient and probably would take a, a low concentration of detergent, give them a good rinse, and then hang them up to dry, having rinsed them out. I think that's probably the, the best way to 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 give you a reasonable standard of cleaning and also will remove other muck as well, which you know might, might make them more, more hygienic to wear for you as well. Now, Ray in University Estate. Hi, Ray. Morning, Kino. Morning, sir. Uh, librarians are very concerned about the books that are about to be returned sometime or other. And uh, they said they won't be able to... Uh, decontaminate the virus on all the books. And then I heard Chris talking about the UV uh, rays that could possibly do this. Is Would this apply to books as well? You've raised an important point about the possible contamination of surfaces by this virus because it does appear to last for a day or two on a surface. But it's as little as that, a day or two. And after that, it just falls apart. These are not particularly resilient, robust particles, these viruses. They need to be living in a human and growing in our cells. They don't have a very long lifetime outside the human body. And therefore, if it did land on a book, then the book is not going to be very infectious for very long, if infectious at all. Because what we don't know is whether when you have a thing like a book, whether it does actually carry an infectious dose of the virus. Perhaps if a person licked every page of the book, they might pick up enough virus to infect themselves. But the likelihood, if a person is sensible, then the likelihood of them picking up an infectious dose from a book is really low. So your librarian is probably at more risk from the person bringing back the book and having that closer Mm. contact with the person than from the book itself. But the librarian could easily take steps to defend themselves by asking people to observe social distancing. And when the book comes back, they return it to the shelves. You know that pretty quickly there's going to be very little virus on there anyway. And they should make sure that they wash their hands after handling the book or any contact with the person who brought the book back. Those are simple steps that are are actually guaranteed to work. Whereas UV and UVC, you're not going to be able to irradiate all of the books equally equivalently Mm. on every page so it would be very very difficult and probably would return almost no benefit for the enormous workload it would be an untried untested approach and for that reason i I don't think it would be worth it i think just observing the other guide guidelines i've I've sort of suggested would be more effective let's go to john in weinberg hi john good morning hi hi chris i have a newspaper wrapped in plastic and delivered to my house what precautions and also a bouquet of flowers. Hi, huh? John. Well, actually, ah. the flowers may well come in handy because it turns out that a very significant number of people who develop coronavirus infection, more than two-thirds, lose their sense of smell and, secondarily, because of loss of sense of smell, their sense of taste. So, actually, some airports are now using smell tests to detect whether or not a person might be in the early stages of coronavirus or or... At low level infection with coronavirus 
by testing their sense of smell. So if the flowers come and you can smell them, you know you're all right. And the person who brought them to you is probably all right as well, if they can smell them. But no, more seriously, the wrapping around the flowers, the wrapping around the newspaper is a plastic surface. Viruses can persist on plastic surfaces for a little while, but you're not going to eat the flowers. You're not going to eat the newspaper or the, or the wrapping around the, the um newspaper what you're probably going to do is unwrap the flowers chop the stems off and put them in a vase newspaper you're going to unwrap the newspaper take the paper out and chuck the wrapping away you've disposed potentially of the things that a person has had contact with and therefore might have tiny amounts of virus on if you therefore wash your hands after that you've removed all sources of infection and you're quite safe so that would be my advice, would be to say, thank you for the flowers, that's wonderful, unwrap them, chuck the wrapping away, unwrap the newspaper, chuck the wrapping away, wash your hands, enjoy both. You're listening to Dr Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, Mary in Grossy Park. How are you doing, Mary? Hi, I'm fine. Good, good. Now, uh, the good doctor is listening to you, ask your question. Okay. Many years ago, I heard on the radio, a virus don't like camphor and garlic. But I've been using camphor and garlic now since I heard of this virus and I'm using menthol camphor, Watkins menthol camphor. Watkins menthol camphor and garlic. And garlic, yes. Okay. And I don't cough, I don't sneeze. If I do sneeze, it it is just a normal sneeze. Okay. I don't have a sore throat. (laughs) I have nothing like that. Well, okay, well, let's so see what... Just put it at menthol camper and garlic. <laughs> menthol camper and garlic kills... I mean, this, uh, I mean, that sounds a bit like what our, our now defunct former Minister of Health used to say about <laughs> HIV-AIDS. But anyway, Chris, what is, what, what is your take? Well, there, there is one slightly cheeky suggestion, which is that if you eat enough garlic, it keeps a lot of people away. And uh, there you won't catch anything from that. Um, There's some evidence that some chemicals in some plants do actually have antimicrobial properties and microbicidal and virucidal properties. And this is because there are various chemicals in the material that bust apart membranes. And by membranes, I mean the outer oily coat of the virus. We were talking earlier about detergents and they break apart viruses. And this means that they become uninfectious. Some plant extracts can do a similar thing. They have various chemicals in there. Various reasons why they've got these chemicals. Some of it's serendipitous because the sorts of viruses that infect us don't attack plants. But sometimes the chemistry can be helpful. And so possibly one other one other thing that's going on here could be that if you have these things coming into your body, apart from being very healthy, because if you eat a healthy diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, that's also going to reinforce your immunity. It could be that uh, if you're handling these things a lot, that uh, th- this will help to encourage good hand hygiene in various ways. But I- I'm I'm with the other one, which is if you stink to high heaven, then no one's going to come near you and infect you with something. <laughs> so, Mary, I mean, it will help to keep people away from you. <laughs> anyway, that's... <laughs> it's, a cute, it's a very cute question. I want to thank you for asking it, Mary. You must have a wonderful weekend, okay? Bye. Thank you. <laughs> so cute. Anyway, let's go to let's go to Shirley. Shirley in Kenilworth. Hi there, Shirley. Good morning. Hi, Kino and Hi. the doctor. Hi, um, Shirley. Totally unvirus related. Um, why is it that modern fridges, and I say modern because I've only heard it in you know newer type fridges, when it's quiet at night, they sort of make a little exploding sound, and sort of can give one quite a fright. Seems 
to happen when the um, motor turns on or whatever it does. Mm. Well, the... Uh, the way these fridges and freezers work is that they have a compressor at the back which compresses a refrigerant. The refrigerant is a chemical which, when you squeeze it very hard, gets really, really hot. You then chuck away a lot of the heat on the back of the fridge. That's what the grill is. And then you allow the material to go through a tiny hole into the inside cavity of the fridge where there is a big condenser. And this means the very hot, or previously very hot, now very compressed fluid expands very quickly into this big space inside the thing at the top or, or inside the grills. You'll, you'll see in, in the fridge or the freezer, there are all these little tube pipe mm-hmm. works that form the shelving. Mm-hmm. It expands mm-hmm. into that. And when something goes from being very, very compressed to very spread out, it drops in temperature precipitously. And the temperature drop is then conducted into the metal which is the shelves and the other bits of the grill inside the fridge compartment cooling things down and the liquid trickles down goes out the back and then goes into a reservoir and processes through again and there's a thermostat on there which can tell the temperature of the fridge cavity and when the fridge cavity or the freezer cavity temperature rises beyond a threshold point it then turns on the motor and when the motor turns on that's what's driving the refrigeration process Ah. until the temperature falls below that threshold again and then it cuts it out. And that's why you get that sort of shaking on and off. They don't run the compressors continuously in most domestic fridges because obviously it's it's energy inefficient. And also the the temperature would just plummet inside your fridge and and you have it set to a level like 4 degrees for a fridge or minus 20 for a freezer. Mm. It would be wasting energy and it would freeze your food if you kept running it all the time. So they kick in and kick out depending upon what the the ambient temperature is. Derek and Diprova, you ask a question I would love to know the answer to. So please go <laughs> yeah, ahead, sir. Yeah, you remember you, you uh, yesterday you interviewed yes. somebody from from Airline Association Correct. and he said it's quite safe to... to he said it is, yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the, uh, I know that the Israelis are trying to develop a mask that will filter out a uh, 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 COVID virus which have to have to be 55 nanometers. So I'm sure that modern aircraft don't have that ability. Um, Chris, so, Chris, would it be safe to fly on an aircraft? Can yeah. Kina go ahead? Yeah, <laughs> I was worrying about these things, right? So, I mean, the, the, the guy said to me, Chris, that, you know what? Our new air conditioners are really sophisticated and you don't have to worry about catching COVID. Now, I just don't know how accurate that is. Well, that's true, but the, the air conditioning and the filtration on air, aircraft, he's right. They are good and they do change the air mm. very frequently. But that doesn't mean they're changing the air between you and the person you're sitting next to very frequently. Ah. And when people have done studies on this kind of thing, most of the transmissions are in close proximity to each other. So in other words, you've got someone who's symptomatic and infectious and they then pass it to people very close to them. But because the aircon is good, it doesn't spread much beyond that. So you're still within the blast zone, no matter how good the aircon is, of the people who are really infectious, really close to you. And also it doesn't take into account all of the other exposures that you and encounters you make when you're going through the airport, for example, touching surfaces, talking to people, people amassing in huge numbers from all over the world. So there's a huge, great mixing going on there so air travels more than just the, the journey mm. on the aeroplane although that's the thing of course we tend to remember because that's where we spend most of the time yep. 
And thanks for asking that question on my behalf there, Derek. Much appreciated. Yes, yes, you know, I, 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 I think I shall be taking the train <laughs> to Johannesburg. Depends where you're going, Kino. I mean. <laughs> yeah, true. Hey, yeah. Listen, if, I, if I'm confined to a cabin and they sterilize the cabin, right, and I don't have any other people with me on the on, – on, well, I'll have other people on the train, but I'll be confined to my cabin. I'd be happier with that. Uh, to be honest with you. But then again, the aircon does come into play as well, and these trains are older. So anyway, I'm trying to help myself out with that one. But Chris, <laughs> you must have a fabulous weekend, as and always. You. Um, and I look forward to next yeah, week. Yeah, I so will we be looking forward very much to Friday next week. And take care, everyone. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant questions.